This is The Other 14 Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 17 of The Other 14 Podcast, the only podcast that forgets about the so-called Big Six and focuses only on the other 14 teams of the Premier League. It certainly wasn't a point-filled weekend for the other 14, with only two wins coming for the other 14. The Hammers and the Villains took the spoils in their Saturday fixtures. A side note here being that Fulham are still yet to play Spurs tonight. This week, as always, we are joined by Tom. Hello, Reese. Hello, Tom. Well, Tom, there doesn't really seem to be anywhere else to start. Last week, you said that West Ham v Everton was El Sacchio, and... As far as we know at this point of the recording, Frank Lampard has now become the sixth managerial change of the season for the other 14 and the fifth sacked manager following Hassan Tuttle, Lager, Gerard, and Parker. Um, what's your initial reaction to this news? Well, I mean, it's it's very sort of fresh news, isn't it? I mean, most of the major outlets have started record, uh, reporting this about sort of two hours ago. Um, I mean, I, like you said, us. Um, the last recording that we did, I basically called the West Ham Everton game El Sacchio, and I feel slightly vindicated by that because you know either two of those managers that were sort of going into that game under huge amounts of pressure. Ultimately, Everton lost the game two 0 looked very lacklustre and just very much sort of typified what they've been doing over the last sort of couple of months. Frank's lost his job. Um, are we surprised? No, I think. The fans, particularly, Mike, whether or not they come across surprised, I don't know. It definitely shouldn't be the case, I think, because I think the board are always going to look to to sack um, Frank with just how dire the results have been over the last eight games. I mean, they haven't. I can't remember the last time they actually won a game. I mean, their last their last eight is lost six and and um, drawn two. It's looked pretty dire on the pitch. It's looking dire off the pitch. The board of acted I think the fans were very much against the board and trying to give Frank as much support as possible the players I feel like they were sort of trying to do that but ultimately they've not performed and it's cost Frank his job ultimately I'm not surprised um, and I don't think anyone else should be but very surprising at the moment that even though the major outlets have been reporting it it just there's nothing official yet. There's no official statement. There's nothing from the club. I've looked on the club website. I'm looking on the Twitter page, and there just seems to be absolutely nothing at no. time of recording. Anyway, yeah, to me, it didn't really come as a surprise because when you've got two teams down there, and it is very much, it was going almost like going to be one or the other. You you called it, and I think I that's probably the case. And I think it was similar for Moyes that if West Ham had lost, he would have been out the door. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's. I think to be honest, for the fans they're focusing more of their anger at the board rather than yeah. Lampard. Like I don't think, and rightly so. Yeah, I don't think they. I don't think they absolutely wanted Lampard out, but I think it was almost a oh he's going to be gone anyway type yeah. of thing. It was almost an inevitability um, about it. Yeah, but you're right. The way they've sacked him, because in particular, um, like it's been announced well by the major outlets. You're right. And then Fabrizio Romano, he's turned around and said, and this was two hours ago. Um, did, did he put a he here we go tweet out? Well, no, he turned around and said, Lampard has been sacked, a statement to come from the club shortly. 
That was two hours ago at the time of recording now. Yeah, I, so, I'm looking at Everton's um, Twitter page. They haven't tweeted in a day for a no, major but, Premier League club. That's very unusual. Yeah, their last tweet was about Lampard talking about the game, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, so I don't really know what's going on there, but we'll really get into that in uh, shortly in the pod um, and talk about well, where do Everton go from here? But first things first, over to you, Tom, with the classified results for the game week. Here are the classified results for match day 21 of the Premier League 22-23 season. Southampton 0, Aston Villa 1, Bournemouth 1, Nottingham Forest 1, Leicester City 2, Brighton and Albion 2, West Ham United 2, Everton 0, Crystal Palace 0, Newcastle 0, 3, Wolverhampton Wanderers 0, Leeds United 0, Brentford 0, Fulham Late kickoff. Thank you very much for those results. Um, a lot for us to delve into there. Have to say, some games were perhaps a little bit disappointing with uh, Palace, Newcastle, apparently exciting, but still no goals, and Leeds Brentford being a nil nil as well. Um, that's... There were a lot of drab yeah. fixtures this weekend. Exactly. Um, and in all fairness, there have been some good games as well, I think, in there. Looking at Leicester Brighton, once again, we'll probably get onto that in a bit. Yeah. And um, that was a really good game. Um, but yeah, some, some disappointing performances perhaps from the other 14. Anyway, into it. David Moyes' men have turned around a run of seven games without a win by getting a vital three points at the London Stadium against relegation rivals Everton. Jared Bowen secured all three points for the Hammers with the two first-half goals, while for Everton, the dismal performance left them firmly in the relegation zone. Tom, now that Lampard has gone, what do you think is the best option to keep ever-present Everton still in the Premier League? Oh, um... Because managers is... linked... There's not a huge amount of exciting options, but perhaps managers that can get the job done because Dyche is being linked, of course. I think Dyche is the number then one, isn't it? The, the Nuno, moment. I think is Nuno's available and seems to be kind of at that level, if that's a fair thing to say. Yeah, I would tend to, if I was going to be choosing my next manager, I and I think probably some people will question me about this, but I, I would gen- genuinely look at Dyche. I know he's been out of, out of the game for, for quite some time, but he can... With the resources that he has available at Everton, he's always been quite a defensive style um, manager, quite physical um, and quite sort of like a gruff sort of nature around most of his size that he's ever managed. Um, I think with the names that he's got in that defensive line, the likes of Yeremina, the likes of Connor Cody, the likes of um, Tarkovsky, who he knows well from uh, from his time at Burnley um, and obviously Pickford in goal. That's a good defensive back line for him to, for him to start. Obviously, there's never been that amount of attacking football um, that Burnley have been typically known with under Deitch. And I think over time that might become an issue with Everton um, fans, but I think he might be able to do a job for Everton for the time being just to get them out of the situation they're in right now, which is they're staring relegation in the face. Very much so. But ultimately, I, I still think, and that the whole ownership and the whole management of the club from top to bottom just needs to change because you look at the amount of managers they've had like in the last 10 years since since Moyes left, you know, it's their eighth manager in the last 10, sixth in the last five years. 
they're just going from manager to manager. Nothing's changing. They're throwing money at players. Players aren't doing anything. And ultimately, I think the buck now has to stop with the board as opposed to managers. They've, they've got to be making the right decisions at the top and they're just not. Yeah, I think there's a lot to be said for their ownership and um, how the club is run. The fact that the game at the London Stadium was the first time in 14 months that Mashiri's been to a game. To, yeah. That's that outrageous. Is, that's appalling. So, I mean, you can't, you can't realistically sort of pull COVID into that as well because restrictions have been down for like the last sort of well, nearly last a year season now. was fully last attendable. Season, yeah. So, so, yeah. But yeah, it's it, ridiculous. It, it's, poor, it's a poor show from him. So, looking at the odds, uh, Sean Dyche is currently the bookies' favourites, followed by Marcelo Bielsa, Big Dunk Ferguson, and then Wayne Rooney. And then you've got the outsiders oh, of Moyes, Espirito Santos. Frank, Leighton Baines, Hassan Hootel, and Poster Coglu going down to the first page on uh, Skybet. Other providers are available. Um, Angie Poster Coglu, I hadn't thought about that. Thing is, he's been tipped with the like West Ham fans or West Ham outlets have been like, oh, he would be a good option for West Ham. Maybe he will be. I'm still not sure. Um, but yeah, Dice seems to be the sensible option of being able to keep them in the Premier League. I still. I'm still not convinced they can make it at this point. As I said last week, it's been a very long time since a manager has been appointed in January and kept a team up. Um, So it's going to be a really tough one. Yeah, I I would say that, and I'm probably just, I'm guessing at this, but I would say a good number of Everton fans have pretty much now accepted relegation. Yeah, which is almost sad that they've always... It's halfway through the season and they might have already accepted it. Um, yeah. Having been at the game on Saturday, some interesting observations, I have to say. Firstly, Everton, I think it's probably the game match approach. West Ham let Everton have a lot of the ball, particularly once they were 2-0 up. They let Everton have a lot of the ball and played on the break. Yeah. Um, Everton were like... That there was nothing there, so Good shit without a rudder, <laughs> pretty much. Like uh, in the across the game, I can only recall two shots on target. Uh, one from Idris Agana. No, that went well, wide from Idris Agana. Gay. Um, I can't remember who their one on target shot was from. It might have been Gay actually, and then another effort um, that got deflected onto the post from Iwobi. There were the only two opportunities that really stand out they had a lot of corners but admittedly West Ham do defend set pieces really well but there wasn't a huge amount of threat from them um, defensively for the goals it was particularly Jared Bowen's second goal, James Tarkovsky has an absolute shocker uh, the yeah. way he gets absolutely done by Mikel Antonio down the wing so Everton just weren't that good and I don't think that's really a surprise because they haven't been great all season the other thing that really kind of shocked me was just throughout the whole game, and I don't know whether it's just a moment in time because everything's a bit crap at the club, but Everton fans, as you say, like if there's an acceptance that they're going down because the fans weren't that loud. They weren't... I know it's hard to cheer when your team is rubbish. Yeah. It really is, as a West Ham fan, last couple of weeks where I've been. Now, West Ham at home to Brentford the other week. You just, it's really hard to convince yourself that you should be cheering for a team that's playing dismal football. Yeah. But 
maybe every now and then you kind of got from the Everton fans going, Everton, Everton, but nothing more than that and not for any prolonged period of time. And I think there is now a really quite defeatist attitude amongst the fan base of, oh, we're awful, oh, we're going down, which is sad, but it's it's not wrong. No, no, you're absolutely right. It's, it's, you do just get that just general sense that it's it's a club pretty much, very much down on its knees right now uh, and a fan base that's very much down on its knees because, I mean, looking at sort of since Mashiri's sort of come in, um, ever since finishes, like I was sort of having a look at this, I was just sort of like, I, I just generally wonder because I can't remember off the top of my head, like ever since last finishes since Mashiri took like his, his major holdings at the club. But from 15, 16 onwards, I've had a finish of 11th, 7th, 8th, 8th, 12th, 10th, 16th. And now they find themselves in, what, 19th at the moment. So, like, prior to, say, COVID, for example, they've been relatively sort of stable mid-table, sort of like averaging sort of like 13, 15 wins a season, sort of quite even across the board in terms of win draws and losses. But just the last couple of years, it's just, it's just been crap after crap after crap. Um, and yeah, I just think there's just a level of which Everton as a club in general just can accept that because as you, as you said, they are one of the mainstays of the Premier League. They have never, never missed a season of Premier League football. And for them to be going through one of their worst runs ever as a club, um, it, it can't be, it requires, I think, a lot mentally um, as a fan base, just to try and get through it, and just to try and g up some any like any form of support, it just I, I, they're very much down on their knees right now, um, and just some there just needs to be a spark, and I just don't know where that's going to come from at the moment. Yeah, no, I've got no idea because even if you go, oh well, they might need to sign a couple of players in the transfer windows, kind of, and that but they've works, been doing that, that for the last. That's the thing; it works for a couple of like yeah. a number of clubs. All it'll work for them. You go, oh, they sign a couple of players in the transfer window. It kind of creates a bit of enthusiasm around the club. But the way their transfer dealings over the last well, almost a decade, like there's I mean, been probably about nine, so many more misses than hits with their transfer dealings yeah. that. You kind of think, I do. Oh feel, no! Yeah. Like, who are they going to sign? That's actually going to bring yeah. any encouragement to the fan base of, oh, we might survive. Yeah. Short of it being Messi or Mbappe, you yeah. can't. Re- <laughs> unless you're I, 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 I do feel slightly sorry for for Evan fans, um, and that is sort of genuine coming from as, as genuine as it can be coming from a, from a Liverpool supporter. Um, but I think the last time I generally saw Everton fans absolutely over the moon was the day that. Um, Carlo Ancelotti got announced as manager of Everton Football Club, um, and I think had he still been in charge, I mean, it's, you know, it's incredibly difficult to turn down Real Madrid, um, but I think had he still been in charge, I think you would not see Everton in this situation. Doesn't matter what Mashiri does at the top, I think someone with that sort of leadership and that sort of experience, Everton would not be in the situation they are right now. Yeah, the Ancelotti one was obviously tough and they were sold this sort of dream that he's going to be around for ages and realistically, he, like, obviously in hindsight it's easy to say, but a manager of Ancelotti's calibre, in the nicest way possible, isn't going to be hanging yeah. around Everton, particularly, like when, particularly when the people above him are so toxic and awful as well. Yeah, I, I feel like he got, I think Everton fans got sold a fairy tale there. And then they signed some good players and they were looking good for one point, like when they had James Rodriguez and look what happened there. 
They had yep. Alan in midfield, Decoure as the like the three midfield. They were looking like a prime, like almost like European pushing yeah. midfield three. And then yep. it's all, all unraveled over the last well, since then, so just over a year now. And it's been awful. Looking now. So Lampard's appointment. So he's been in charge for forty four games at Everton. Yep. They've won twelve. Yeah, one of the worst points per games uh, for an Everton manager in the Premier League era. Uh, I think it's second worst. Like it's, it's just so bad. And there's only so much you can blame Lampard. There's only so much you can blame the squad. Like it, effectively, everyone's to blame here. Lampard's not that good. The board is awful, and the squad just aren't. Like looking at, I think, um, I think it was Danny Mills talking on Five Live on Sports Report, because he was watching the game, he turned around and said that there was no midfielder willing to take a risk, and that is so true. Like, don't get me wrong, players would pick it up, like Iwobi did so much running with the ball, trying to Mm. find some sort of space to play a ball, but none of them ever did play any sort of ball through the lines. Admittedly, West Ham, once they went two up, tightened it up at the back and made it difficult for Everton. But there was absolutely nothing, no spark, no kind of inventiveness, but no player on the pitch looked like they even wanted to try. It's not like they were putting balls in and trying different things. It was just so lacklustre in every way imaginable. And you do go, oh, that's manager's tactics. But you also want to have the characters in the changing room to be able to really like grab the ball by its horns and go, no, we need to fight against this relegation. But there's no one there to do that. Like talk like the players that have been longest at the club got Pickford. Well, in all fairness, he could not do much about either of the goals. Got yep. Seamus Coleman who got hooked at half time, and then you've got in terms of local lads, you've got um, Anthony Gordon who didn't even make it onto the pitch. He was left on the bench the whole game. So, like they've got a group of players who don't really have any that much affiliation with the club. I suppose Calvert-Lewin maybe because he's been there for a while now. Yeah, I mean, but... Conor Cody is, you know, uh, Liverpool lad um, born and bred. So um, even though, you know, he's, he is from the red the red part of Merseyside, he is a professional at the end of the day. Um, of he does have affiliation to the local area. So he knows what that club is all about. I think... Uh, but they didn't like, look he's... like any leaders on the pitch that game. No, which... Yeah, it's um, yeah, they had sixty odd percent possession and they did nothing with it. And you know what? I, I do feel sorry as much as I do like watching Everton fans moan on Twitter. I think they're a part of it. I still think part of it is they think they're the Everton of like the early two thousands, um, and they're really not. And I get that they've got this ever present status, which I think makes them like almost be above their station at times. Yeah. Um, oh, the fans didn't deserve what they saw at the weekend. Absolutely shocking. Absolutely awful. And I do, to an extent, feel sorry for them. Um, particularly when the players, or, well, only like a handful of players actually made the effort to go and clap them at the end of the game. That is the worst bit about it. Yeah, that's that. I think only five players walked over to the fans and applauded them. Like, yeah, that, they may have not I, been I the loudest fans throughout the game, but they gave them no reason to cheer. And yeah, it's it's not like your supporters have, have made like what the um like the five hour six hour journey into London. Oh, it's ridiculous! It's ex- it's expensive Show, to make the some, journey. Yeah. It's a, it was a cold day. Yeah, and they some just, appreciation for crying out loud. Like, it, 
it, it takes 30 seconds, doesn't it? To yeah. walk over, even like in the. It's the minor like gestures. Think, you'd like to think that every player really appreciates the fans turning up. You'd like to think that they're like, oh my God, this is amazing. They've traveled all this way. They've paid this money. I really appreciate them. But even if they don't genuinely feel that, if mm. they like, it only takes 30 seconds to walk over, have a clap, mouth, thank you, put your thumbs up, and kind of be like, oh, we need to do better, and then leave. And that. If you get 10 players, you get all all the players on the pitch do that, then you kind of have, okay, the fans are, are, might be like, well, you were crap, but at least you're like showing some level of commitment. Not to yep. the club, at least. But it was just, it was awful to see. Like, as professionalism yep. goes, it's just shocking, if I'm honest. Needs well, to change. Yeah, so maybe Dyche is that man to keep them up in the Premier League, but to be honest. You know, yeah, I mean, next six, you're looking... Arsenal at home, Liverpool in the Merseyside derby away, and then Leeds, Villa, Forest, and Brentford. Which, so in all fairness... Four home games to look forward to. Uh, one away trip is the Merseyside derby. Um, apart from Arsenal, you're looking at those other five games and just thinking, maybe it was the best best time to to make a change. Mm. Like, well, I suppose now, making the change now, is it's FA Cup weekend next weekend, yep. so... In, I don't know if they're still in the FA Cup, to be honest, but you would think that that's not the priority. Whoever's coming in, if they're in tomorrow, they just turn around and go, we'll have a go on the FA Cup, just do whatever you want. It gives them a chance to try try a team out and a formation and a style, um, but at least they've got two weeks until the next Premier League game to actually embed anything properly in to try and salvage something of a season for them. Yeah. Um, looking at it, though, I suppose it is still quite tight. Everton on, on in the... Um... I can't remember who they got knocked out. Oh, did they get knocked out? Okay, fair enough. But looking at the table, it's still not like it's still not a foregone for them because it's it's still a tight table. We've still got lots of games left. They're on fifteen points. Leicester on fourteenth. They're on eighteen. That's that's one win. Like admittedly, they've only got three all season. They've only got three all season. But you know what I mean. It doesn't take much to suddenly get going. Um, uh, it's just based on what you what I saw at the weekend. There's, there, mm, yeah. I don't. I think I've said all there is to say. I yeah, I think yeah. at this point, but yeah, but for them, for the fans, they really need to have something done quickly. There, things were looking good for Gary O'Neill on Saturday when Bournemouth took the lead home to Nottingham Forest. However, their lack of clinical finishing in the box left them victim to a Forest equaliser. The one all draw and other results around them, has now put Bournemouth in the relegation zone. The um, relegation zone. It, it feels like this is going to be a relegation-heavy podcast since all the teams yeah. at the top of the table from the other 14 didn't do a great deal this weekend. It's a very blue pod. Um, it is. So, Bournemouth, um, do they just need a striker? Because... We spoke about it last week, their lack of finishing, their lack of goals, but it was really evident against Forest at the weekend. Yeah, I, I think it's clean to see. They they just don't score goals. I think, you know, we, we do talk about a, a couple of the, the other 14 teams that are, you know, might need a striker from here or there, but I, I definitely think Bournemouth need one because not only that, I mean, Dominic Solanke isn't the out-and-out striker that, you know, I think either Bournemouth fans or sort of 
Chelsea fans of, of a yesteryear, sort of looking at the uh, the academy players coming through, will will admire Dominic Solanke. But sort of seeing him at, at Liverpool, he just he just can't take his chances uh, as well as everyone thinks he can. Yeah, he can he can play in the Championship, but um, it also doesn't help the fact that he's currently injured right now. So he's going to be out for a sustained period of time. They they need a striker nonstop. But they have my man Jaden Anthony, who scored at the weekend. He did score. He also had a prime opportunity for a cutback for a 2-0 lead. And but did he, he score? Yeah, but he could have made it two by if he was less selfish and didn't go for goal. He could have squared it across to his teammates to roll into a fairly empty net when Dean Henderson came for a run out. Yeah, um, so could Harry Kane in 2018, but he didn't do it, did he? Well, uh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's completely honest and fair. Um <laughs> I think we've spoken a lot about Bournemouth recently. Um, yep. They do... I don't know, I think it's starting to form up. Looking at the clubs in and around the relegation zone, um, Southampton, you've already written off. They had an... Um, it's hard to say unfortunate loss against Villa, but they did still lose regardless. Yeah, then got Everton have now made a change. Bournemouth are then sitting there. And looking above them now... You've got Wolves, who have a new manager in Lopetegui. West Ham, this might be a change of fortunes for them now they've got their win. Leeds haven't looked like they've dabbled with relegation for a while now because they've started to pick up points. They just need to score. I think that's their problem. They yeah. just need to score goals and take then, chances. And then Leicester are now... Well, <sighs> they, they got a point against Brighton, which is a fairly good point, but... I they were know. leading at one point, but again, like it's been the trouble all year, they, they do give leads away. Exactly. Not leads, leads, but leads. Well, I get it. So it kind of seems like a bottom three is starting to form, perhaps, even though if in terms of points, it's not that clear yeah. gone. Like, I'm going to have to look at, like, re-rack re- re- the, um, the predictions that we made at the beginning of the season, but I'm pretty sure Bournemouth and Southampton formed two of my three. That would go down. I can't remember if I said Everton or not. It might have been Forest, but Bournemouth and Southampton definitely were sort of two of the three. I made the the awful prediction that I thought Fulham were going to go down. I think uh, I might have said Fulham as well, actually. You know? Yeah, we didn't realise. Um, in all fairness, I think we both said if Mitrovic fires, they'll be fine. And Mitrovic yeah. has fired and they've been ridiculously good. Um, hopefully they can do a job on uh, Spurs tonight. Yeah. But I think we both, I definitely had Bournemouth going down. Yeah, I think maybe Southampton. I can't remember, but I definitely, I definitely said Fulham and Bournemouth to go down. I can't remember who I had alongside them. Whether it was Leeds or Southampton, they would be my only two that I can think that I would have put in with them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I, you said, it is it is starting to form up. I mean, there is um, it's it's more so I think now that even though you know Forest could still be sort of drawn into it, but there is a three point gap between thirteenth and fourteenth. And only three points separates 14th and 20th now. So it is mm. starting to form up um, quite nicely. I think Villa are well clear now. Um, Emery's got them playing well. Palace are just going to be consistently inconsistent like they have been for like the last number of years. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think what you're looking at probably... I think Forrest will be all right. I think realistically, probably from 15th downwards, that's, that's what you're looking at. I just think that Lopetegui is actually doing enough at Wolves now. They've. I didn't quite get my prediction right at last last pod, saying that Wolves might be able to do a job um, on Man City. I didn't account for um, Erling Haaland. Well, um, I, I to turn around and said if there's, anyone team that, if there's any one team that can uh, 
ruin a team that's played midweek, it's Man City. And they absolutely, yeah. it was a demolition job. Um, yeah. Let's be honest, most teams are already writing L uh, against uh, their Manchester City fixture. Um, yeah. And that hat-trick from him was, um, I don't know, it's one of those that I don't think you can do much to stop. He just seems yeah. <laughs> almost inevitable. Um, so, um, but yeah, know, Bournemouth, um, yeah. I, I think... There's still there's still time um in the window and uh, to do it to, to do a little bit of business um even though you know we typically say that January is a, a difficult time of year or difficult window to sort of really negotiate but yeah I, well, I think striker is uh, top of the list I think for for Bournemouth. Well, I think there'll be a lot of teams looking for a striker and uh, yeah. one team that did sign a striker this transfer window was West Ham signing Danny Ings from. Aston Villa for 13 million. He came on for a bit of a cameo performance um, for the final, I think about 20 minutes um, at most at the London Stadium on Saturday. The news is coming out in West Ham circles, though, that uh, he has got a knee injury and might be out oh, for three to four weeks. So as much okay. as West, oh, wow. as much as West Ham fans are like, yeah, we've got a striker, we don't need to rely on Mikel Antonio. Um Dannings uh, might be out until beyond the transfer window, so yeah. they might be keeping hold of Mikel Antonio, which I don't think is a bad option. Antonio actually upped his game this weekend. Um, was at it's almost he like looks involved. Yeah, he likes he has over this last season like to throw himself to the floor a lot in thinking that refs will give everything and refs almost never give anything for him now. Um, because sometimes he goes down very lightly. Sometimes he's legitimately fouled and they wave it on, but a lot of it seems to be a bit amdram. Um. But obviously, bringing Ings in might have had a little bit of an effect and maybe knocked a bit of spark into uh, that attacking lineup. But now him being out for three to four weeks is it's quite West Ham. Yeah, unfortunately, made a glass that loud. Unfortunately. Mm. Well, anyway, um, I think that's enough on uh, relegation teams, Tom. If I, if I'm being, we need to cheer up a little bit. Okay, let's cheer up. I know what will cheer people up. How about we talk about? Uh, Leicester v Brighton. Yeah, let's do it. So at the King Power Stadium on Saturday, the Seagulls visited the Foxes, which ended up being a very, very good game. I think most people would have put down Brighton for the three points after their electric form of recent months and weeks. But Leicester possibly surprised people by um, partaking in this quality 2-2 draw. Leicester um, went from being one down to establishing a 2-1 lead, but then in the 88th minute, young Evan Ferguson for Brighton clawed a goal back against Brendan Rodgers' men. Um, Overall, do you think Leicester fans will be happy with this result, or do you think they'll be upset because of they were in, obviously, the position of power till very late on in the game? Yeah, I, I think... It was a bit of a, you know, I, I wouldn't say crawl uh, on Leicester fans um, for the, uh, the the late sort of conceding of, of a goal to sort of lead it to sort of being a two-all draw. But I think the performance was there. We haven't realistically seen a performance from Leicester, I think, for a good number of weeks now. And for them to be behind against Brighton, thanks to a, a you know, cracking strike from Matoma, you know, it's become a bit of a cult hero there down on the, uh, on, on the South coast uh, for them to sort of, you know, get behind their team, then go two, one up uh, ultimately for Ferguson to nick an equalizer right at the end. It, there were signs there that Leicester were gradually sort of getting back to 
some kind of form because you know they they started the the year off terribly as we know started to pick it up a little bit but then yeah form over the last sort of couple of weeks and then the questions about you know Rogers again sort of starting to uh, emerge above the surface um I think a two-all draw against a very good Brighton side that just go keep going from strength to strength I I think um will give Rogers and the fans something to sort of build upon so they hadn't had a win in the four games leading up to uh, the game yeah. between Power on Saturday. So this point is their first in a while. I think it's kind of established, though, that their issue this season, actually, for the last while, has been at the front and at the back. Obviously, getting the two goals kind of makes it seem like their attack is a bit more linked up. Um, but... They have conceded now the jo- second joint most goals in the season. So uh, Bournemouth being the team that have conceded most uh, with 42 goals conceded this season. Um, one game is more responsible for that than anything else. Uh, but then Leicester have conceded yeah. as many goals as both Forest and Southampton, having already shipped in 35 this season. So... <laughs> Defense. Very defensively leaky, and it's it's not looking well. It wasn't looking great for them. Obviously, fans would have absolutely loved those. Fans would have absolutely loved those three points. But looking at match of the day and watching the highlights, they once again we've accused Bournemouth of this. They just weren't really clinical enough. They had opportunities where doing classic Leicester playing on the break. And it just seemed like a number of times the balls between like Barnes and Vardy, they just didn't seem for it all to completely click. Obviously getting two goals was great for them. But looking at it, they could have perhaps got a couple more, which um, which definitely would have made them very yeah. safe in that game. I think that's the thing, realistically, for Leicester all season long. It, it's There's been spurts of, of good stuff, but ultimately it just, it just hasn't clicked. And I think that can pretty much sum up their season. You know, Barnes is gradually sort of getting there, but Var, you know, Jamie Vardy hasn't realistically been the lead man that he has been for like the last sort of, well, ever since, you know, um, the, the dream season of 15-16. He, I can't think, remember off the top of my head right now, his, his goal... Um, his number of goals this year, but is is markedly down um, on on years gone by, and you know that that's to be expected. You know that the, the guy isn't getting any younger, um, you know, and he, he can't drink Red Bull all his life. So, um, you know, it, it, that that sort of natural drop off will start sort of start to come. Um, so just to, just for reference less. in the league, yeah, go on. Jamie Vardy has made twenty appearances, scored one goal, and made four assists this season. So exactly, yeah. But yeah, as it's, you it's say, he's he, he's thirty six now. Like yeah. he's not a spry chicken. He can't be is expected. He? No, no, he's probably at the time of his career, sort of like the Kevin Davies of of Bolton, where he's just you know he, he used to score like for fun, uh, Kevin Davies, but then just sort of a natural sort of drop off. Um, I think Jamie Vardy's definitely in that sort of point of his career now, unfortunately for um, for Leicester fans. Um, and I think for Leicester to sort of move on, they do have to look beyond. Um, beyond Vardy and like the heroes of fifteen sixteen, for them to sort of remain in the conversation, I think. Um, 
they've obviously signed Patson Dakar, who I think on his one of his first games in, in Europe scored what was it four goals or something ridiculous yeah, like that. He did, yeah, um, he did. And he then became an immediate sort of like cult figure. Um, and then yeah, sort of a sudden drop off, or just hasn't realistically hit the heights. I think that um, everyone was sort of expecting. Um, Ian Nacho is not a naturally gifted finisher of um, well in in the Premier League. You know he he can crop up with a goal here and there, but he's not going to get you twenty goals a season. Um, I think for Leicester to remain in the conversation because there is there is a threat now that they're starting to be sort of left behind. Uh, I think in the conversation, um, mm. you know, with Fulham's sort of emergence, um, sort of like the the reappearance in the Premier League this year, with obviously Mitrovic firing, Brighton being as good as they are, Newcastle obviously well and above um, anyone else in the other fourteen. Leicester wise, they're sort of being left in the shadows. So I, I don't know realistically what the expectations are uh, for Leicester fans right now. No, it seems like this season is possibly the first time that they've been dragged into that relegation conversation. Yeah. Um, because obviously they're not that far away from it and it has looked pretty sad. And I think you're right, there was very much at the top of the other 14 for the last number of seasons since 15-16, you've always gone, oh, well, Leicester mm. will be up there. They've almost always been penciled in because they've always been able to yeah. routinely turn up and perform. And obviously they then had a couple of seasons ago, they had a reasonable run in Europe. Um, but it's just something's not working there. They're not scoring goals. If you think about the contributions from around the pitch, they've um, got Barnes, Iheanacho, Daka that you've mentioned, Iosi Perez. I'm not sure what's happening, whether he's injured. Um, saying that, we're talking about it. Sorry, I've just looked how many goals they've scored this season. They've scored 28 goals this season. That's more than at least half the league. That's actually surprised me. And from the yeah, stunned silence, that's that surprised you as well. It surprised me a little bit. Um, they, they do score in their losses. Said, they don't... Yeah, they've so... had some pretty, pretty entertaining losses whereby they've they just... I think... We do. We have obviously. I have gone on a little bit about their, their goal scoring threat, and I do. I I do maintain that I think they need a central uh, central figure up at the top, someone um, in the either the mould of Jamie Vardy or someone to sort of fit into those shoes. Mm. Um, but I yeah, I, I will go on to. I think you know it's it's easy to say oh just because Casper Schmeichel left, they've been poor defensively. Um, I think that is slightly too easy to say. Um, but I think the mentality of, of Leicester as a, as a whole is that they've been in positions this year where they've had leads and they just haven't kept them. You know, the, yeah. the, I think a couple of times this year, they've been like two goals ahead and ultimately either drawn to or, or ended up losing the game. So ridiculous um, in the last minute, I think a couple of 3-2 defeats along the way. Um, they just don't know how to keep leads. No, you know, and again in this game, in the Brighton game, and and I was sort of looking at Leicester going two one up against Brighton. I was thinking this is a genuine shock here, um, because I think everyone pretty much had written down that Brighton were going to do a job on Leicester, um, and for Leicester to come back shows their ability to come back. But then again, it um, it also shows Leicester's ability to not hold, keep hold of leads, which they've been proven to do all season long. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's pretty spot on. While talking, looking at the other end of the table, obviously we've had this bit of a 
run from Brighton now. We'll see. They lost Graham Potter, bought in Deserby. Things have all been looking good. Um, they might. I don't know whether they'll be disappointed with two or at Leicester. Uh, because at the start of the season, if you said, oh, Brighton are going to go and get a draw at Leicester, you'd go, oh, that'd be a good result. But what a transformation they've been having this season. What performances they've been putting in. They're now sitting uh, sixth in the table with a game in hand that if they were to win it, depending on other... Well, after tonight, they'll have two games in hand on Tottenham who are above them. So if they were to win both of them, they would go above Tottenham by two points wow. and put them in fifth. Um, but it's been a hell of a transformation. They've made some wicked signings. They've obviously lost Trossard this window, who's now gone to Arsenal. But it doesn't ever bother Brighton. I don't know no. what I don't know what would have to happen to Brighton for them to just for things to change because they just seem to keep rolling on. I think so, they should have like a next man up mentality. So obviously Trossard's gone, and I think that's been probably on the cards for quite some time now by the by the sounds of things. Mm. Matoma's come in and just immediately hit the ground running and so, you know, so he's done on the weekend. I do want to talk about Kaoru Matoma because he's come in for not much money from Japan and yeah. there's a I suppose an element of snobbiness from European football going, oh, what what's the Japanese league got to offer? But then you look at Celtic, they got Ange Postacoglu, yeah. who was managing out there, and they've signed a good number of Japanese players from there, and they're all doing very well. And once again, the English snobbiness now comes up going, oh, but it's only in Scotland. But Brighton have signed Mitoma, put him in. He's now got four goals and one assist in his last seven Premier League games. Um, this lad, though, is absolutely ridiculous. So when he was studying at university out in Japan, he was given the option for a professional contract and he turned it down because he wanted to continue and finishing his studies, as part of which his dissertation was on the art of uh, dribbling with the ball, where right. he, got, he got his um, the, the, the football team alongside him to strap a camera to their head so he could look at what what positioning what their eyes were looking at when they were dribbling with the ball so he effectively did a dissertation on the art of being able to beat a man with the ball and just dribble Love around it. the wing and be a winger and obviously you look at it and go well but for now, dissertation yes yeah, for him it's paid yeah. off loads of people do go and do a degree at university and it means nothing for their job they do a degree in history and end up going into marketing and then go to australia to fulfill some sort of dream other people like mitoma has completed a dissertation on running well with the ball he's now moved to england and is running very well with the ball and just goes to show his impact in that brighton side that i suppose i think brighton fans not many of them are upset that trossard's gone because they've got someone to just put in that yeah. hole so i mean yeah, going back to Japanese, sort of like um, from the Japanese leagues. Like, I mean, the Premier League got one of its best ever managers from Japan, you know, in uh, in Arsene Wenger. Oh, absolutely. And um, uh, but there is a huge amount of snobbiness around around it, and I feel it's and not much of it is actually deserved at all. Um, but for this guy to come in, been so influential, and the Brighton method will be in two years' time, they will sell the lad for forty million plus. 
and they will just have someone else that they've probably bought yep. in from Venezuela or Canada or like it doesn't matter where their network yep. is ridiculous. The Brighton Scout network is one of the best, I think, in the Premier League. Brighton's network is ridiculous. They keep finding talent and they keep putting it in the team and they keep going through. Like we, no one had really thought much of whoever Alexis McAllister was before this season. No, he then goes and wins the World Cup with Argentina. They're just doing everything right and. It's one of those that you look at where they are in the table right now. They're in sixth. It is so deserved. It yeah. is so deserved. It's ridiculous how good they've been. And they have... They're just no... a model club. And exactly. And no one can complain about them being where they are. No, no. At all. It's, it's just Fully brilliant deserved. from them. So as much as we're talking about teams up there, we're looking at Newcastle and people go, oh, money's been spent. Fulham and Brentford... You kind of look at both and you're not necessarily sure how sustainable this is mm. for them. As much as I want them to, you'd never know. But Brighton, it just doesn't look like it's going to fail. And it might do, yeah. it might do ca- like catastrophically. But at the moment, it's all going well. Yeah, they... my, only, my only worry would be is if they go down the line of a Southampton, for example, where Southampton, when they came up, what was it, back in 2013, mm-hmm. um, just... You know, player was going out probably 99% of the time they were going to Liverpool um, and always the replacements were coming in and time and time and again, they were sort of finishing sort of nicely in the mid-table, potentially sort of knocking on the door for Europe. And now I think there's just been, it's just become too much for them and obviously it's sort of been brought down to the lower lower levels of the league. Um, for Brighton, it's whether or not they can sustain it and not become the next Southampton. Well, I suppose part of it was Southampton relying on their youth program to bring players through to yeah. sell on. While Brighton are picking up players, like they bought in what Caicedo for less yeah. than five million. I'm sure a yeah. bit even less than that. I'm just saying five million I to mean, cover my options. I'm sure Cucurella less... was their player of the year last year, and he yeah. got sold off to like what a gazillion pounds that of Todd Bowley's money to Chelsea. Exactly, and it wouldn't surprise you if Caicedo ends up going in the summer for. For like 50 60 million somewhere yep. and they'll just have go, go oh well we bought this guy last summer for three quid and look he's phenomenal um and it's even the fact that it extends beyond just their players it's yep. the fact that everyone thought they were really onto something with graham potter and don't get me wrong i'm sure graham potter is a great manager and he proved how good he was at brighton but He's gone to Chelsea and things aren't working out at Chelsea, but that's just, that's not Potter's fault. It's a whole cluster of a situation. Yeah. But they then bought in De Zerbi and everyone, I remember our podcast where we've gone, well, who really is De Zerbi? Does anyone really know? It's like, well, I can, I kind of know the clubs that he's managed before in that I recognise the names. But yeah. You wouldn't, you wouldn't go, oh yeah, I've seen him. I know what his approach to football is. But yeah. they do. Brighton know, and it just keeps working, and I'm yeah. all for it. So I'm all for it. Absolutely, I love yeah, it. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing what they do. I really hope that they can maintain pace and grab one of those European places um, come the end of the season. You'd love to and, see it, and cause a lot more upsets on the way. Yeah. And Tom, now it's time for the return of the fans' favourite part of the show. It is Stats Corner. And welcome to Stats Corner. So 
so there's been a little bit of a change to Sats Corner this week. Um, I've decided to take the clipboard and the spreadsheets from Tom and swat it up myself. And I've decided to put a little bit of a Stats Corner feature together myself, inspired by inspired by something that I saw on Match of the Day this weekend. Um, so, Tom, during Match of the Day, they showed a table which showed that Everton only have five players in their squad that have scored over 10 Premier League goals in their whole career, which are DCL, Malpai, Coleman, Gray, and Iwobi, which, when you're talking about a team that are lacking in goals, you kind of talk about experience in depth and goal scoring, because you can't necessarily always rely on a striker. They don't have really a squad that are used to scoring at this level. No. So... As we said, Everton's lack of goals have been a real issue for them this season, uh, with them only having scored 15 so far. The only team who have scored fewer than them is Wolves with 12. So since Everton have a tough fight on their hands, it got me thinking, who are the worst scorers to have stayed up in the Premier League? Oh, So I took a little dive into the last decade of Premier League football, because if you go back too far, it gets too much. So, and I wanted to look at the worst goal scorers in the league. Um, and initially, on the face of it, it doesn't look good for the lowest goal scorers. So in the Premier League, the lowest goal scorer for every season, for the past 10 seasons, has been relegated. On every single occasion, if you score the fewest goals in the league, you get relegated. That is Makes sense. what has happened, pretty much. Goals win your games. The only time this hasn't happened was um, in 2017-18, where Huddersfield Huddersfield got this joint worst total, where both them and Swansea scored 28 goals, but Swansea got relegated. So Huddersfield did get the lowest amount, but also a team that got the lowest amount also got relegated. They stayed up on the last day, didn't they, Huddersfield? Yes, I believe so. Yeah. So, if you're not scoring goals, one of the things that we've looked at Everton, for example, is that they have actually kept goals out reasonably well this season. Um, While, on the other hand, we've got Bournemouth, who haven't been keeping them out particularly well. No. So, there is a lot to be said about strong defence. Even if you're not bagging them in at one end. um, So, in five of the last ten years the lowest scoring surviving team has actually been outscored by two of the three relegated teams. So um, just for an example, the most recent season this has happened was in 2019-20, Crystal Palace finished 14th with only 31 goals scored. So out of all the teams that survived, Palace scored the lowest with with 13 goals. While actually two teams that got relegated... Fulham and Cardiff actually both outscored them by three goals. So although Palace were effectively the second worst scorers in the league, they still managed to stay up and actually finished 14th in the season, which is ridiculous. So they managed to keep it so tight uh, defensively. And as much as we're telling saying teams, oh, you need to go and score a lot of goals. So we're saying Bournemouth need to be more clinical and score more goals. They don't have a goal scorer. Everton are lacking a goal scorer. It doesn't... Obviously, the lowest goal scorers do go down, 
But here's an absolute shocker for you. Right. So, in 2010-11 season, we all remember Blackpool got Blackpool. relegated. Yeah. So they got relegated. Their one season in the Premier League came up with Holloway, got relegated, never to be seen again. What is shocking, though, is that that season, the Tangerines scored 55 goals. Wow. So wow. The, that I, remember, se- I remember them having a fantastic first half of the season. Mm. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and they did the double over us as well. Mm. But what is mad about this? That's so 55 shocking. goals puts them as the 10th highest scorers in the league. That what is including that? outscoring Spurs, who finished fifth that season. So despite wow. their goal-scoring heroics, scoring 55 goals... They still got relegated, which is what, um, absolutely bonkers. DJ Campbell, Charlie Adam. So it actually has a lot to be said. As much as we talk about goals, 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 to an extent it helps. On Sports Report on Saturday, Danny Murphy said that perhaps Everton should resort to a more pragmatic version of football, uh, like the percentage game of keeping it tight at the back, long balls over, like kind of classic Allardyce. Yeah, which which makes sense because if you're sure up the back, you might just go and snatch a one nil. Yeah, and you can survive on low totals of goals scored. So we said that Huddersfield um, in seventeen eighteen only scored twenty eight goals, and that was the joint lowest that season. So of the Premier League era to survive. That that is the benchmark. You two teams in the history of the Premier League going back even further. When there's been twenty teams in the league, twenty eight goals is the target. Both Leeds in ninety six ninety seven season and Huddersfield in seventeen eighteen both survived with only twenty eight goals scored. Right, which in theory puts Everton halfway there on the scoring front to surviving. Which yep. when you put it like that and defensively although their position may not suggest it, Everton aren't the worst at defending, and nine teams in the league have actually conceded more than them. Yeah, so okay. So it just seems that Everton are losing by very small margins, and so although they may not be banging them in, they're kind of on track to score the bare minimum, but they just need to kind of keep keeping it tighter at the back, and yeah. maybe... Although it is a lot of doom and gloom for Everton fans, it might not actually be that bad for them. And I know this is weird to say when they're currently in the relegation zone and they've just lost their manager. But actually, there's a lot to work with there. And the stats do suggest that they're not actually that far away from just getting a couple more points and end up staying up. So whoever is the newly appointed manager they're kind of not doing things wrong. The new manager might not have to tweak much to get them to survive in the Premier League this season. I get I get I get what you're saying. And I I I back it to some form of extent. I, I do think on some occasions during during the, the season so far, Everton have been a little bit unlucky. That being said, looking at like the, the goal scored and the defensive side of things sort of stats wise for Everton so far. If you're sort of taking it and sort of like doubling it for a full 38 game season and thinking, you know, statistically that might put them in a in an okay position, whether by they be safe. 
that's obviously fine for the time being. Um, on an Everton sort of front, I, I, I do think, you know, we've, we've already discussed it, and you know, I think there needs to be a, more, a long, longer-sighted sort of solution um, for the, for their troubles. But that that is interesting. Um, I, I Yeah, I, I do think Everton have been a little bit sort of down on their luck on all occasions. Um, you know, the, 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 whenever it sort of comes to teams getting relegated, you, you look at quite a number of things. And I think when teams typically change their managers sort of halfway through the season when they're sort of down in the relegation, they're, they're in a bit of a relegation scrap and they need to change relegation form into sort of staying up form. I think one of the key things that they always come in is just keep clean sheets. Mm. You've got short at the back. Um, and then from that point on, if you start from the back, work your way forward, that's when points come. So I, I, I think even though, you know, Everton having the number one uh, England keeper in, in between the sticks for them. And, you know, uh, us, what you'd probably put down as a, a solid centre-half pairing of, of Tarkovsky and, and Cody and potentially Mina if you, you played a back three. Um, I, I do think that they need, just need to focus purely on just sort of keeping out because they've not... I don't think they've kept Kenny Sheet in God knows however many games. So they've only kept four clean sheets this season. Yeah. which has accumulated to their three wins. Yeah. But they have, in that time, only conceded 28 goals. And you look at the teams around them, beneath them, Southampton have scored, uh, have conceded seven more, Bournemouth have conceded 14 more, and Wolves have conceded 12 more. Yeah. So it almost seems like Everton don't really necessarily have blowout fixtures no. where they lose by loads. They're just kind of all their goals. They always seem of... to be stuck in close games, and they always seem to be on the wrong side of it. I think so. I think they just need to tie up performances as opposed to, you know, I think they need to tie back half and front half together. Yeah, they've t- they've lost a lot of games just by yeah. one goal. And I think maybe it won't take too much to tweak them. Like maybe we've written them off a little too soon and maybe it will come good for whoever they bring in. And I think actually looking at that, it's almost a dice dream, isn't it? Looking at this, the, dice defensively, over, they're not bad. And... Like actually, they I'd, can I'd... knock a, it, They only need to knock a cup, a few more in, and actually, it all look quite good for them. I, I know it's no, it's I know it's not Halloween, but it's something to sort of scare the bejesus out of um, Brentford fans right now. But Everton seem pretty, um, pretty good admirers of Thomas Frank, apparently. Not this season, right? Surely, I, I can't. I no, not this season at all. Surely, with the way that Brentford are going, Frank would. Only consider it should Everton be also, up. So hasn't he just signed a, a contract extension that puts him onto like 25, 26, 27 or whatnot? Like a really like long term contract yeah, extension. Yeah, I know it doesn't like in football. I know, con- I know yeah, it doesn't mean it, it means all, nothing. All, but... all the contract extension means is Brentford are going to get more money yeah. when he does go. So yeah, yeah I, they unless they were appointing someone temporary until the end of the season, and then they might go for Frank. That's the only way you could see Thomas Frank deciding to go to Everton. Yeah. Is that once he's had this season with Brentford, should they not be in yeah. a European place? Yeah, he then might consider it. But sorry, um, sorry Brentford fans, I didn't mean to scare you there, but I don't think it's going to happen. No, neither do I. But anyway, I think based on the odds, Daesh's favourite. But whether I still can't, I still can't get my head over that 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 Blackpool stat. Yeah, fifty like fifty five goals. goals. That's mad. It's absolutely bonkers. I think maybe I haven't what, got what, through, but just I think, like, what, how many goals did they actually see that year? How many goals did they concede? 
Um, give me one second to have a look. So that season, um, they conceded an absolutely staggering 78. <laughs> so their goal oh, difference no, was minus 23 yeah. and was the second worst in the league with only... Oh, God. They were pretty much conceding to a game. Yeah, pretty much. Fair enough, yeah. Um, wow. only, uh, the only team that um, had a worse goal difference was then than was West Ham, who um, conceded 70, but had a goal difference of minus 27. Yeah, it was the final game where between... Was them, it, they were playing at United, weren't they? Yeah, between them, Birmingham, Wolves and Birmingham, Wigan, yeah. it was all very tight. I think so. Weren't Birmingham playing, I think, Spurs off the top of my head? Yeah, they lost 2-1 to Spurs, which sent them down. And Blackpool were away to United. Yeah, Michael Owen scored, I think, yeah. in a couple. Um, oh, I love watching yeah. Premier League years. <laughs> it's great, isn't it? Anyway, yeah. so goal scoring might not be the way to stay up in the Premier League. That's what I'm saying. Thank you for joining me on this week's edition of Stats Corner. It's time for Goal of the Week. Goal of the Week. Tom, last week you had to do Goal of the Week for a whole festive period. This time you've only got two days worth of goals to pick from. So in terms of size of task, it is a lot easier for you this time round. So tell me what goals caught your eye this game week. Yeah, some some form of uh, normality uh, to to goals of the week this week. Um, you know, only one game week to choose from, not an entire festive period of you know potentially four match weeks um, to sort of trundle down through. Um, but this week, the you know fifty percent of the teams of our boys they didn't actually score a goal um, this week. Unfortunately, there were a couple of drab nil nils. Uh, but we do have some contenders, uh, and rightly so contenders. I'm not just picking them out just because I need someone for goal of the week. I'm going to list the three names, and I think you might have something similar as well. I'm going to go Matoma, Ferguson, and Anthony. Yep, they're the three best goals that there were this game week because right. there weren't that many goals. Okay. No, exactly. So it was, and if there's a banger tonight in the um, in the Fulham game, then uh, we might have to readdress this. But I'm pretty sure that one of those. One of these three is not going to be beaten, but if it is, um, tonight's game is going to be pretty tasty. Um, so we're looking at Matoma against Leicester. Um, this was to put Brighton one 0 up. Um, so he, you know, he cuts inside, nice little bit of skill there to juke the defender, and then a right footed curler from outside the box. Um, you it know, was, beats, beats it was Ward an obscene finish. The top corner, like it was a lovely little finish. You it, know, that was sort of like Coutinho in his prime. It's so postage stamp. Literally, yeah. Ward had absolutely no chance of getting there. Um, it was like just, as, soon as, you, as soon as it left his foot, you just knew it was going to go in. It, so it was, it was so one of them. Like the, no, going to FIFA terms, but the finesse on the shot to like curl it round yeah. into the top corner was absolutely glorious. It was it was all one circled to perfection. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, gorgeous goal um, from the lad. And then looking at Ferguson's strike, um, I know it's a header, but my God, was it some header to rescue the game for Brighton? I mean, we're talking just sort of like in terms of distance wise, you know, from like the penalty spot, maybe just slightly to the left-hand side of the box. He's guided that uh, that ball with power to absolute precision past Danny Ward to rescue a point. I, you know, that is some header uh, and rightfully deserves to be one of the uh, nominees for this week's goal of the week. 
Yeah, I think for that goal, um, I know you can look at possible questionable questionable defending from um, the Leicester centre-back to give him so much space. But it was a wicked ball in. And I think more than anything as well, just this lad has come from absolutely nowhere. Again, you another go, name for Brighton. Exactly. And this one through their academy, I'm pretty sure. Um, yep. But but looking at, like they sold Neil Malpai to Everton in the summer. And then you're going, oh, do Brighton actually have a striker? Because they had Danny Welbeck, who in all fairness, recent weeks has played pretty well. And he's not had a bad season yep. overall. But then they've just gone, Deserby's gone to this 18-year-old lad. Oh, go on then. And he's been playing really well. And I think he's scored uh, a couple for them now since his debut. So, yeah. Like, Earn, and it earning was, a spot it, in the team, absolutely. Absolutely wicked header, though. The power on it. And, yeah, it was just a great finish from him. Yeah. Uh, and then third, um, but definitely not least, uh, my boy Jane Anthony against Nottingham Forest to put Bournemouth 1-0 up. Nice little first touch. Um, in the box, and he sets it up nicely to absolutely drill into the far bottom corner uh, to put Bournemouth one up. Unfortunately, Bournemouth didn't go on to win the game. Um, and as you mentioned previously, you know Anthony did have a chance to square it to sort of help out Bournemouth in you know further strengthening their efforts to get the three points at the weekend. But alas, didn't sort of come about. But nevertheless, uh, a lovely little finish from Jaden Anthony. Um, I think he scored his first Premier League goal in the reverse fixture actually. So um, okay. some nice sort of uh, circleage going on there. Yeah, in all fairness to him, it was a really good finish. The ball in for him, him was from their new right back who they've signed from France. Or sorry, yes. I think actually winger, but I think he's more in a more defensive role. But um, Utara, I don't know how to pronounce his name, so I do apologise to him. But it was a, a great ball into him, like hit low and hard. And as you say, his first touch to be able to control that was absolutely fantastic. And then, yeah, the finish, once again, I think it completely left Henson with absolutely no chance because the power into the far corner was absolutely phenomenal and through the defender who was on his left shoulder as well. So, yeah, quality finish yeah. from him. You can't question the keepers in any of the three goals that we've mentioned this week. No, not at all. Possibly the defender in the Ferguson goal, but in terms of... Uh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely not from the de- uh, goalkeepers whatsoever. They were given absolutely no chance. So, yeah, so, three yes. great strikes, three great goals, time to choose. Uh, I mean, ultimately, I, I there's, say, there's only one winner this week. We have been bigging up all three, I'm not, I'm not gonna, but there is one that is I'm not gonna just draw it out. Yeah, It's Matoma. Yeah, it, it was a fantastic finish. Watching watching through the highlights on Match of the Day, like with my pen and paper, making notes down, and I've just gone, as soon as that one's gone in, I'm like, wow, there's not been another, there's not That's been a better week. one. Like it would have taken something yeah. to beat that. Um, absolutely phenomenal finish. Yeah. My exact notes were for that again. Right foot out outside of the box, top bins, no chance for Ward. Four goals, one assist in the last yeah. seven games. So I have to say, I know we don't have this as a feature, but there was certainly a miss of the week. And in that same game, Solly March has an absolute awful one oh, where it gets rolled. You know what? Out to be him. fair to him, he does slip. No, well, that's the thing. He slips. But he's, he's, what, 12 yards out at most? And it comes yeah. across to him with great I mean, pace. He just needs to, like, there's defenders on, but you hit it with enough power, it'll almost get through. I mean, he, And he just yeah. slips and he's he standing foot. Rosehead. Yeah, his standing foot just goes underneath him and he just goes, yeah. goes into orbit, joining Harry Kane's penalty. I'll tell you what, there is, um, I know, again, this is another feature that we do, 
Uh, but save of the week, uh, Nick Pope in the Palace game. He pulled off an absolute stunner um, to keep Newcastle in that game. But the thing is... Um, the way, didn't have much to do that entire game. The way Newcastle were playing and the way they're defending and the way Pope is playing this season, I feel he'd probably win it almost every week. Um so yeah, oh, yeah. It, I mean, but, you know, stats wise, he's pretty much up there in terms of you know best keeper in 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 the uh, in terms of the other fourteen oh, keepers. They've now well in but across the, the league. The save was top class across the league. Now Newcastle have kept more clean sheets than they've conceded goals this season. Which <laughs> which is what a transformation for that club. It's absolutely bonkers. Yeah. So looking at where they currently are, I think they've conceded eleven goals, but kept 12 clean sheets daft which is absolutely brilliant um which i'm sure that's extra reason why david moyes has got to be quite glad that they got three points against everton because west ham's next three games are against newcastle then chelsea then tottenham so yeah a team again a game against a team who's third in the table and doesn't look like concede any goals and then two london derbies so it's um yeah, pretty vital time for them in the league. But yeah, Newcastle have been absolutely sensational. Yeah, so now we've got Fab for our favourite game where we pick four fixtures and we predict the scoreline from them. Um, and then it's a co- hot oh, competition well. between both of us where we get one point for a correct result and three points for a correct scoreline. So this game week just gone. We had West Ham v Everton, Bournemouth v Forest, Leicester v Brighton and Leeds v Brentford. Um. So, starting off, West Ham Everton, thanks to Jared Bowen's twin strike, West Ham won 2-0. So, you predicted 1-0, so you get the one point for that. Yep. I predicted 2-0 because I was being a negative Nancy and thought that if West Ham do lose the game, at least I've got some points in here. Um, Instead, I was very happy that West Ham have won. And then, on reflection, my performance this game week is shocking. Yeah. Then, Bournemouth Forest... You boldly went for a draw at two all. The full time result was one one. Um, I put for a Forest win just because I thought that Bournemouth See, just hadn't yeah. done all that. And in yeah. all fairness, Forest perhaps should have actually lost that game given the amount of chances Bournemouth had. Yeah. Um, then Leicester Brighton, a great two all drawn. Neither of us saw that. Both of us did see Brighton scoring two goals though. Yeah, I was one goal off. I didn't see Leicester scoring at yeah. all. And it was and, it was two one at one point, but just the other the other direction. Hmm. So. And then to round off all the fixtures in Fab Four, Leeds Ooh. v Brentford. It's it was a nil nil, and both of us thought it was going to be a really exciting game. You thought, yeah, you I thought, thought it was going to be three two. two. You yeah, it was going to be a, a blinder. Instead, um, it was nil nil, and I put for a two one win. Draw. So a two one win to Leeds. So, so am after, I right in saying that's nil point for you? Oh, I've struck out. It's awful. Um, absolutely appalling. I, in all fairness, I still look back at my decision making. Gone. Perhaps I should have had West Ham for a win, but I was emotionally covering my options. Yeah. Bournemouth. I just they've just not been very good, and they were okay during that game, I guess. Leicester v Brighton. We just neither of us gave Leicester any hope, but they managed to turn around their rotten run of form and salvage a point from the game. And then Leeds v Brentford, well, the less said about that game, the better, I think, on the yeah, whole. Pretty because much. An absolute an absolute doozy of a fixture. Yeah, it, it summed up a number of fixtures, I think, that weekend. Mm, absolutely. So 
Yes, you did. You did get two points, and I got zero. Closing so the gap once again closes the gap. So this puts you on twenty-four points, and I've still got a lead of twenty-six, which is really tight. Unfortunately for you, and fortunately for me, you won't actually have an opportunity to close the gap or take a lead next week because. It's the fourth round of the FA Cup, so there are no oh, indeed. there are no Premier League fixtures next week. Just for listeners, we will be doing uh, a podcast next week um, where we will be reflecting on how the season's gone so far for our other fourteen clubs. Um, although for some clubs, it's very apparent how it's going, and we might be so issuing some. Uh, mid-season awards to certain players and managers and teams that have uh, lit up the league so far in the first 20 game weeks. Fab Four will be back for us to predict the first game week of February. And that brings us to the end of episode 17 of the Other 14 podcast. So thank you for downloading and listening to this week's episode of the podcast with Tom and myself. Please subscribe and give us a rating on your platform of choice and also do recommend us to your friends, family and all other 14 fans. In our episode description, you will be able to find our link tree, which will get you access to all our socials where we're really upping our game and providing some great content for the fee of absolutely nothing. So with that, it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. And we'll see you next week on the Other 14 Podcast.